Gabe Miller here, and I want to personally thank you for checking out our podcast. And I also want to encourage you to click the subscribe button so that each week's message will automatically show up in your feed. Another great way to stay connected with this is on our website at yourimpactchurch.com and on all of our social media outlets at Your Impact Church. I hope this message today encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you. Let's jump into the message. See each and every one of you here this morning. Um, I got just a few announcements that I want to go over. Uh, so, if you have youth that are going to the youth retreat uh, next week, we're going to ask that you would meet after the second service to go over a few things. Um, we have an iKids appreciation dinner. If you are serving or if you serve in our iKids, uh, November the 4th at 6 p.m., we want to honor you. Right? We want to we honor those that invest their life and their time loving on and serving our kids. Um, fall festival, we're going to have a fall festival. It's going to be next, next Sunday, November the 7th from 4 to 7 p.m. That's going to be at the McLaughlin's house. There'll be directions. We'll have that for you. Um, bring a side dish, man. Come out, come and hang out with us, right? I mean, if you if you if you're new to Impact, or if you uh, if you're not in a group, come meet some people. Come meet us and um, let's let's do life together. Uh, men's breakfast is going to be November the thirteenth. That's going to be at eight a.m. We're going to have Doug Reed come in here and just kind of minister to us. So if you're a man and you like breakfast. Um, that's going to be November the 13th. Come hang out with us, 8 a.m. Uh, Thanksgiving baskets out in the foyer. We have some sign-ups out there. Um, so every year about this time, we will put together some Thanksgiving baskets that have a turkey and food and everything like that. So if you want to be a part of that ministry, sign up for one of those items that you can donate. Um, if you know somebody, if you know a family that could, that could benefit from this, that we could bless with one of these baskets, you can nominate them. Um, you can you can do that online uh, or at IPAC, or Impact Central back there. Um, so with that, we need people. We need turkey buyers and turkey cookers, right? We we need people that will buy the turkeys, and we need some people that will volunteer to cook these turkeys, so that we can deliver those on November twenty fourth. And we'd also need some volunteers for that, too. And that's just a, a neat time to be able to see people face-to-face and bless them with a meal. Um, we have child dedications that are coming up November the 21st. That's going to be in the 1045 service. Um, if you have a child that you just, you just want to just take this opportunity to say, Here, God, I recognize that you've given me this child that, that, that is yours, but you're allowing me to steward this child. And we want to dedicate he or she to you. Um, you can you can sign up for that and be a part of that as well. Um, there may be some blue cards in the seats next to you. Uh, last week we had a we have a ministry that we're involved with called Prayers for Students, and the vision of this it's it's a multi church all across Lamar County. The vision is for every student in grades nine through twelve in Lamar County to have somebody praying for them. Um, there's a lot of students here in our local schools that they honestly they don't have parents praying for them. They don't have and, and you could be the only person praying for, and, and, and we, we believe in the power of prayer. So um, get signed up if, if, if you if you're not a part of that you can sign up you can fill out one of these cards you can drop it back there in the box. If you did sign up last week, 
we have your child, and he or she is back there in the table in the foyer. So go back there and find the card with your name on the back of it, and you'll have a picture of the child and the child's name that you can literally pray through high school. Um, this morning, we want to take just a few minutes and, uh, and give honor where honor is due. Right, the, the Bible says that, that if a person desires the position of, a, of an elder, of a pastor, spiritual leadership, that he desires an honorable position. And so we want to do that for Pastor Appreciation Week. Um, man, we just, Gabe, we want to honor you. We want to honor your family um, because it, it, it's a family effort. I know that for a fact. Um, guys, come on up here and let us, let us honor you. Um, there's, a, <clears throat> there's a verse in 1 Corinthians 16.9, it says that um, it says a great and effective door has been opened for us and it has many adversaries. And it's just this idea that Paul's saying, hey, we see God has provided an opportunity to impact those with the gospel and we recognize the adversaries. Right? When, last week, when we, just, when we just robbed Satan of eight or nine souls that got baptized last week, right? When we just robbed him of those, he's, that, he, he's not happy about that, right? And we recognize that the enemy, um, he has devices, and he is, th this doesn't please him what we're doing here. So we want to honor them by blessing them with just a, man, just some, some just a care package. But we also want to honor them by praying for them. And I would encourage you to continue praying for our leaders and for our pastors. Guy, you want to? Pray and let's bless them. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for these special services, Lord. Father, we we thank you for the cost of so much, Lord. Father, that for giving your life, for the sacrifice you made for us, for them to lay aside their own earthly desires for you. Lord, we ask you to be there in the name of May we all pattern your son and desire for your will to be done among us, Lord, and follow these leaders that you have so blessed us with. Lord, even though they're young and godly, they're so mature and hot because of your spirit that is alive and well within them. Father, we thank you for that. It is an honor to submit and to follow. There's a mind is stayed on you. You keep them in perfect peace. And Father, may your will be done in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Well, I want to say thank you. Um, we never could have dreamed when God called us to step out and start this thing that all that he would do and all that he was able to do. And uh, I want to myself honor my wife who's down here um, on the front row for always being there. And there's so much, um, there's so much behind the scenes that goes on uh, that many people don't know about that she's a huge part of. And I also want to, I know they're not in here, but I want to honor our kids. Whenever we were just getting started in all of this pastoral ministry, um, I was talking to a, another pastor, and he said, pastoral ministry is the only job on the planet where when you sign up, uh, you bring your kids and your entire family to the front lines of the battle. And I know there are uh, different things and conversations and um, I know that she would say the same, but we just want to honor them because uh, they walk through things too. And uh, we just want to do our best to love them and Show them how to follow Jesus above all. And so uh, we're thankful. We're thankful for them. Thankful for you guys. Thankful for so many people that serve um, to make this possible. It's just, it's amazing. Um, and now I'm going to try to transition. <laughs> that awkward transition. Um, so we've been in a series that uh, has been on the book of Ephesians. And the whole thing has been each week for six weeks, we were taking one chapter of the book of Ephesians, and hopefully you've been reading through that. I do want to encourage you, uh, once we finish today, today is the end. We're talking about Ephesians chapter 6. Today is the conclusion of this series. Uh, but here's my encouragement to you. Don't stop reading your Bible after today, right? Continue to read God's Word and be in God's Word. Allow Him to renew your mind. And uh, so we have uh, some amazing messages and things planned as we head into the holiday season, and so we're excited about that and all that God's going to do. But I want to jump into Ephesians chapter 6 today because uh, I, I've personally enjoyed this series. Um, it's the first time that we've ever done something specific like this. Uh, normally, um, most of the series are more burden-driven, and really the burden for this was to take opportunities throughout the year to just go through God's word specifically and learn and grow together. And so uh, it's something that we plan to continue to do in the future. And hopefully it's been helpful for you. Uh, come on, have you enjoyed this series, just going through the book of Ephesians? Um, I've, as, we, as we end, there is a lot to get to, and I'm going to try to do it as, as quick as I can, but a lot to get to in Ephesians chapter 6. I love Ephesians chapter 6. And I've broken it down personally into four different sections that we're going to kind of talk about as we go through this. And so the first section, if you're taking notes, the first topic is children and parents. Children and parents. And I was talking after the first service, and I said, man, you could really do, uh, you could do like two or three weeks on just Ephesians chapter 6 because there's so much stuff in here. And you could really do that on all the chapters, honestly. But uh, I want to start in verse number 1, and we'll read the first four verses, and then we'll talk about it for a moment. Uh, at what, is, what Paul is saying to children and parents. This is what it says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And all the parents said, Amen. 
Amen. Because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may live a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So obviously the first thing that we see when we jump into Ephesians chapter 6 is this command for children to obey their parents, right? And I know all the kids, most of the kids are in iKids right now, and so uh, this is just something that what, what Paul is saying is there's some importance in children learning. This is, this is how we communicate it to our kids, children learning how to um, obey their parents and submit in that way so that when they get older, they know how to submit to God. Uh, if, we're not, if we're not teaching our kids what it looks like to, to obey on this level um, with their, their authority here on earth, then as they grow up, it's going to be hard for that to translate, I believe, into what it looks like to submit to the authority of God in their lives. And so not only is it important in the house, but it's also important to their growth as they go through their years and they get older and older and older and how that transitions and how you can begin talking with them about that. The word obey in the Greek here, it literally means to hear under, like hear with your ears, hear under. And so I I put it down like this, that children are under their parents' authority, so they need to hear what they say and obey it. And it's interesting to me that Jesus himself, and you, you probably know this, But Jesus himself uh, fulfilled this, demonstrated this, showed us what this looked like, and obeyed his earthly parents, right? Jesus was the son of God, and he fulfilled this in his life. There's one story in particular that I was thinking about in preparation for this, and it's in Luke chapter 2. And we know this, that Jesus' family, they all traveled to Jerusalem. And and after, after it's time to leave, they all leave, but Jesus doesn't go with them. And they don't know that Jesus didn't go with them. They get a, a few days' journey down the road, and they're like, where's Jesus? They go back, and they find Jesus, and he's there having conversations with leaders and teaching people at 12 years old. But I find this interesting in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, toward the end of that story. When they come back and they get him, this is what it says. It says, then he went with them, went down with them, and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. Jesus has just said, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house about my father's business? But after that, his parents give him instruction, and Jesus himself was obedient to them. And then it says his mother kept all these things in her heart. I love those phrases um, throughout the, the gospels, really, when Jesus was a kid. Mary, you see her constantly, like she's, she's thinking about these things, she's treasuring these things in her heart. That's just a side note. I just find that intriguing myself. But uh, one, thing, one thing that I want to talk to you about, it's, it's one thing to say, children, obey your parents. But verse 2 says to honor your father and your mother. And how many adult children do we have in the room? Come on, you're still the child of somebody. You're an adult child. Here's what I've realized, that whenever you grow up and you move out, you never outgrow the command to honor your father and your mother. So children, obey your parents, but then it says honor your father and mother, and I don't think we ever, come on, 55 years old and your parents are 80 and you're still honoring your father and your mother. I believe that there is a big, that God makes a big deal out of honor. He makes a big deal out of honor. And here's what you need to know about honor. Honor is not earned. Honor is given. 
if let's let's put it like this if Jesus never did another thing for you you would still give him honor not because do you honor Jesus because whenever you pray he answers your prayer and you keep getting something from him or do you honor him because of who he is we honor him because of who he is. It's not something that anybody has to earn. There's, there's something that God honors people that honor. It's a principle in scripture. And so I would encourage you to be a person of honor. And this command, you know, it quotes the, the Old Testament and one of the Ten Commandments. But I love this, that it comes with a promise. It says that honoring and obeying our parents allows us to walk in the promise of things going well for us in our lives. And a lot of times we translate that and we say, you know what? God said it'll go well for you in the land that I'm giving you, or it'll go well for you in your life if you honor and you obey your parents. And we're like, wow. So we kind of get this byproduct of this. But I think it's twofold. I think you do get the byproduct of it. I think it's something that God honors whenever, whenever we honor and we obey our parents. But I think on the flip side of that, it's almost a practical thing. Because how many of you know that your parents have been alive longer than you? And so when you honor them and you get advice from them, it obviously helps you to live a productive life in society. And as you go through your life and as you get older, because you're getting wisdom and you're getting insight and you're getting advice. And then verse 4, it addresses fathers, but I think that we can apply this to anyone who is raising children. And I'll explain that in just a moment, but let's read it again. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And the Greek word for father here is a word that means one who imparts life and is committed to. One who imparts life and is committed to. Doesn't that sound like your heavenly father? That he imparts life into you and he's committed to you? That he has made the decision that you are his and he has sealed you? And we've talked about all those things as we've gone through Ephesians. As a father or a parent, you're called to be committed to imparting life into your kids. We're called to be life-giving parents. And I know that we all, we all fall on different sides of the fence when it comes to discipline, right? And so uh, I think that discipline has, no matter how you do discipline, discipline is meant to be out of love, right? But, but when, it comes to, when it comes to being a parent, a life-giving parent, everything that we do should be imparting life, should show a commitment to the relationship with your kids, a commitment to what you are investing into your kids. It's how we're life-giving parents. And what if we made it our prayer for the Holy Spirit to show us how to do that? How do I, Holy Spirit, how do I be a life-giving parent to my kids? How can I live that out in my life? And I think that this verse can really be translated in this way when you study it. It's fathers or parents don't uh, abuse the authority or drive your kids crazy with inconsistent rules and unspoken expectations. I know that uh, as we've been raising our kids, um, how many of you know sometimes you're just led by your emotions, right? <laughs> We're not meant to be led by our emotions, but sometimes you're just led by your emotions. And one day it's like, you know, I think what, it, I think what it's getting at here is the fact that you're trying to raise your kids to become mature followers of Jesus. And so they need to know what does it look like along the way to become a, a true follower of Jesus. Not, with, not with, with expectations that are out of this world that they could never meet or anything like that. But hey, follow me as I follow Christ. And I'm going to show you what it looks like consistently to live this out and how you can be a follower 
of Jesus. The goal as parents is to raise our kids into mature adults. Come on, how many of you that are parents, your goal is that you want to raise your kids so that one day they leave? (laughs) And some of you are looking forward to the day like, hey, there's going to come a day where they're going to be gone, and the goal is for you to raise them so that when that day comes, they're able to step out on their own and follow after Jesus. And when they have their own kids, they're following that same pattern, and they're just raising them up to know what it looks like to follow after Jesus. We need to be encouraging. We see these same instructions in Colossians chapter 3. If we read verses 20 and 21, it says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged and then at he, in hebrews chapter 12 verses 5 and 6 and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons my son do not take the lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him for the lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son that he receives god disciplines us in love and we owe our kids the same thing that everything would be done out of love and because they are loved right because i love you this is what we're going to do Because I love you, that's what God does with us. Because I love you, this is what we need to do. And so we owe that to our kids as well. And here's the bottom line on this before we move on to the second point. Is that a healthy parent-child relationship should be characterized by obedience and honor. Obedience and honor. And the second thing, the second topic that we see in Ephesians chapter 6 is between servants and masters. Servants and masters. And we're going to read verses 5 through 9. It says, Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. And the first thing that I want to point out is the word slave. Some translations word it different ways, but the word slave in these verses can also mean servant. And I think this is a picture of what it looks like translating to the workplace, the employee and employer relationship, the boss and the worker relationship. Um, I think that it translates over into that. We just throw some different terminology on it nowadays than what they did in Bible times. But it's talking about that relationship in the workplace and how you relate to the people that you work with and the people that you work for. Um, We are called to serve and work with a good attitude as if we are working for the Lord. Let me ask you this question. How would it change the way that you did the things that you did if you always had the perspective that I'm under a human authority, but ultimately I'm doing this for the Lord? That there is authority that God has placed here on earth, and we all work here, we work there, we work there, and there are people that we work for. But in the big picture scheme of things, this is all for the Lord. And our perspective is that everything that I do, I'm doing it for Him. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18 says, Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. Colossians 3, through 24 says, Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. There are a few things that I want to point out as, 
as I piece together Colossians 3 and 1 Peter 2 and Ephesians chapter 6 and different instances in the Bible where this is talked about, here's the first thing that I notice. Your ultimate reward comes from God. So, so sometimes we, we, get it, we get it backward and the burden becomes more than the calling because we have started to work for people instead of ultimately doing this for the Lord. And so our focus gets on, well, I'm doing this for this person and not for the Lord. Anybody ever complained about your job? So let me ask you this question. If God himself was standing here in front of you, and in his word he has said, hey, do everything that you do as if you're working for the Lord, would you complain about your job? This doesn't mean that your job is not hard. This does not mean that your job is not tough. This does not mean that you don't get frustrated sometimes. But it means that, hey, I have to have the mindset and the perspective that my reward is coming from God, not from people. Not from people. That ultimately my reward is from Him. Here's the, the second thing that I think is important that I notice out of these verses is that um, our submission isn't supposed to be based on whether or not we feel like we're being treated fairly or whether or not the person in authority is around because God is always watching. And it says that it's in Colossians chapter 3 and in Ephesians 6 where it even points it out. Don't, don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. In other words, in every situation, in every scenario, no matter what is going on around you, no matter who is around you, I'm doing this for the Lord. And so I'm going to be passionate about it. I'm going to do it with all my heart because I know my reward comes from Him. And He has called me to this place. I am in this job for a reason. I am an authority over these people for a reason. I am working at this place for a reason. I am starting this thing for a reason that everything God has a purpose and a reason for. And so I'm working ultimately for him. My reward comes from him and he is always watching and I want to be pleasing, not necessarily to the people around me, but focus on pleasing him. Focus on pleasing him. And then I love how it points out that employers and employees, that, that uh, it's a call for both to honor each other. Because God shows no favoritism, and that that God is uh, that that God is your ultimate boss. Come on, how many of you know that if you are a boss, you have a boss, and He is in heaven. If you are if you are an employee, you have a boss, and then you have a greater boss, who is in heaven. Right? We are all submitting to Christ as the ultimate authority. In everything that we do. And so we have to have a heavenly perspective on the job as Christian employees and as Christian employers. And here's the bottom line on this topic before we move on to the third one. It's that a healthy employer-employee relationship, it emphasizes respect, it emphasizes service, it emphasizes obedience. It's honoring, it's an honoring relationship. Here's the third thing that I want to get to, and really you could do an entire message over this, but we're just going to touch on it for a few minutes. It's the spiritual battle. How many of you know that you're in a spiritual battle? I'm try that again. How many of you know you're in a spiritual battle? All right, third time, 100% participation. 
How many of you know you're in a spiritual battle? Okay. If you don't know that you're in a spiritual battle, you'll lose. Because you'll be fighting the wrong fight. And I want to read, this is 11 verses here in Ephesians chapter 6. We know this as the armor of God, but really there's so much more in here than just pointing out the armor of God. But I want to start in verse 10, and we'll read through verse 20. He says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit and with every prayer and request, with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Here's the first thing that we have to understand from these verses is that the devil is scheming. But God has given us a way to stand against his schemes. The devil is always going to be scheming. But God has given us a way to stand against his schemes. And if you don't understand that you're in a spiritual battle, you'll never take up the things and the resources and the weapons that you need to fight in the spiritual realm. So the devil is always scheming. This is a, a picture. I was studying this, and it's a picture of what Paul is talking about, a soldier standing ground and refusing to run. It's like, I know the devil is scheming, but I know who I am. I know what Jesus has done. I know what I'm called to. I've taken up everything that God has given me, and I'm standing firm where God has placed me. Right? It's, it's a picture of a soldier that says, I'm not, no matter what the enemy tries to do, I'm not running away. I'm standing my ground. The next thing that we can learn from verse 12 uh, is this. Verse 12, we'll read it again. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So here's what we can learn from verse 12. Your enemy is not your spouse. Your enemy, listen to me, your enemy is not your kids. Your enemy is not your boss. Your enemy is not the people around you. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, We are not fighting against flesh and blood. There is a battle going on in the spiritual realm that you and I cannot see. And so here's what we need to learn to do. Are you ready for it? This is profound. Love your neighbor and fight your enemy. Love your neighbor and fight your enemy. Your neighbor is not your enemy. 
They're not. Well, yeah, I know, but their dog keeps getting in my yard. They're not your enemy. I'm not talking about your physical neighbor right next to you. Come on, Jesus told a story about who is your neighbor. Somebody was trying to get around it. Well, who is my neighbor? Jesus said, well, I'll tell you. You should go look it up. Google it. We need to learn how to love our neighbor and fight our actual enemy. And here's what I would do if I was the devil. I would get us fighting each other. So that you didn't recognize what I'm doing behind the scenes. And if you don't realize that you're in a spiritual battle. That your wife is not the problem. And your kids are not the problem. And your boss is not the problem. And your job is not the problem. You're in a spiritual battle. And the devil is scheming. He's behind the scenes scheming and so we have to recognize who the enemy really is we have an enemy and we have to recognize who the enemy really is too often too many times we're fighting each other and not realizing that the devil has pitted us against each other and i believe one of the devil's greatest schemes is getting us to believe that our enemy is somebody that we can actually see Somebody that we can look eye to eye with and say, you're my enemy. That's not your enemy. You're not fighting a battle against flesh and blood. The devil is getting us to fight each other while he accomplishes his agenda behind the scenes. And here's the truth today, and this is going to help somebody. The daily problems that we face here on earth are rooted in the spiritual realm. And the resources we need to fight the battle are in that realm also. You can't pick up your own understanding to fight a spiritual battle. You can't pick up your own weapon to fight a spiritual battle. You can't pick up your own agenda to fight a spiritual battle. You're fighting in the wrong realm. And the good news is, the resources and the things that you need, the weapons that you need, the armor that you need... To fight this battle has already been provided. You just have to find it in another realm. And so behind the scenes, you're praying and it doesn't seem like anything's happening. You're praying and it doesn't seem like anything's changing. You're praying and you still don't like your job. You're praying and you can't physically see anything going on, but God says, Keep praying because you need to fight this battle in the spiritual realm. You can't fight it in the flesh. It also says in the Bible that the weapons that we use are not carnal weapons. They're not fleshly weapons. But they're weapons that can actually pull down strongholds in the spiritual realm. you got to get in the right battle. You're in a battle. But if you're fighting it in the flesh, you'll lose. Because the resources that you need are not there. It's a spiritual battle. In this battle that we face, our human strength is not going to work. I was thinking about this example um, of how our only hope is to be strengthened in the Lord and put on the full armor of God and that we're called to stand in the area where victory has already been achieved under the cover of God's armor, and I got this picture of an umbrella. 
So whenever you pick up, whenever you put on the armor, whenever you step into what God has already provided, whenever you get under the umbrella, when I pop the umbrella out, the rain doesn't stop. It just keeps me from getting wet. When you put on the armor and you pick up the weapons, it doesn't mean that the battle stops. It just means that now you don't get wet. Because you've put on everything that God has provided for you, and now you're protected, and you can stand firm against the, the, the schemes of the enemy. God has provided our resources and armor so we can operate from where victory has already been achieved. So I want to go through fairly quickly the armor that is listed here in Ephesians chapter 6 and talk about each one for just a few moments um, and I find it interesting that there are pieces of the armor that are offensive and there's some that are defensive. And really when I was looking at this, I saw that there were really like three things that we have and three things that we're told to pick up or to activate or to use when we need it. Are you with me? So the first three pieces are things that you have all the time. And the first one is that truth is a belt and it holds everything together. If you're trying to hold everything together by anything other than God's truth, it won't last. And so what is, what, what is the truth? Well, John 14, 6, Jesus tells us, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And so he says, I am the truth. And then if you jump over to Colossians 1, 17, talking about Jesus, it says, He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. So if I'm trying to hold things together by anything other than Jesus, anything other than the truth, then I'm going to have a hard time. And in those, in those days, I was, I was reading this, that the belt, it was like everything got tucked into the belt. The belt held everything else in place, held everything else together. If you didn't have the belt, then you were in trouble. The belt is important. It's what holds everything together. Here's the, the, the second thing is that righteousness is a breastplate. Knowing you're right with God protects your heart. When the accusations of the enemy come your way, you have to stand against that by knowing you have been made righteous by what Jesus has done for you. How many of you know that the devil is the accuser? He's accusing you. In fact, in Revelation 12, I'll just read this to you, verses 9 and 10. It says, So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come now because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. Satan is the accuser. I don't know if you've ever felt accused. Anybody ever felt accused? Like you were being reminded of all of your past sin. You were being reminded, and it sounds something like this a lot of times. Who are you? And you just have this thought, like, who, who are you? You know what you did. You know what you used to be. How can you say that do you really believe that and here's what you need to know if those thoughts are in your mind that's not from God 
Because whenever you place your faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible says that your sin was casted as far as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness. So if somebody is bringing up your past sin in your life, it's the enemy. It's not God. Because when you're saved, God looks at you and he sees Jesus. And so we're being accused. The, the enemy is the accuser of the brethren, of the brothers and sisters. And so we have to know who we are. We have to know that we've been made right with God, that we are the righteousness of Christ, and I've got this on me, and it protects my heart, and I know that whenever somebody tries to accuse, and the enemy tries to accuse, and thoughts try to accuse, that I am protected by what Jesus has already done for me. I've already put it on. Here's the next one. The gospel of peace is footwear or it's shoes, however you want to say it. It makes you ready to move. I don't know if you've ever tried to move quickly without shoes. Anybody? In the summertime, I, like, I wear flip-flops a lot. We'll be on vacation, you know, playing games, wearing flip-flops, and you can't run as fast. You can't move as fast. You're not as agile whenever you're wearing flip-flops as when you have shoes on or when you're barefoot. I'm the type of person that if I walk outside and there are rocks, it hurts my feet to walk on rocks. Now, I don't know if you're that type of person or not. You may be able to walk on rocks and it not hurt you. God bless you for that. I mean, that's just a gift from God, but that does not work for me. Here's what you need to know about peace, okay? We are equipped to walk and live in God's peace. You already have it. Fruit of the Spirit, peace. Jesus himself, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. Jesus left us with peace so that we don't have to be troubled or fearful. So that we can walk in peace. Today I'm going to walk in peace. Tomorrow I'm going to walk in peace. I already have it. He's already given it to me. I have peace. I can walk in his peace. And then here's the next three. The first one is faith is a shield. Hold it tight in every attack. I like this definition of faith. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. What if we just acted like God was telling us the truth? Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. And Jesus, he even said, Luke 17, 5 through 6, the apostles come to him. They say, increase our faith. They're seeing these things, they're asking questions, and they go to Jesus and they say, increase our faith. And here's what Jesus says. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the Lord said, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. See, soldiers, they would, we don't do this anymore because it looks different, but they would take their shield and they would interlock their shields together and it would make this impenetrable wall. No arrows, no anything could get through because they were all interlocking their shields together. What if the church actually interlocked our shields of faith together? Because here's what I fear, here's what I fear we look like. We look like a bunch of believers. Oh! And I think one of the primary reasons is because we've forgotten that we're in a spiritual battle and that we're not the enemy. 
And they would, they would lock their shields together. Together. So that nothing could get through. It was like they were invincible. Faith is a powerful thing. People are saved by faith. People are healed by faith. People are filled with the Holy Spirit by faith. Faith is powerful. And if we could join our faith together, and I'm going to interlock my shield with your shield and your shield and your shield and your shield, and then we can look at the enemy and say, I see you. I see what you're doing. I see what's going on. But we're together. We're interlocked together. And you can't penetrate this. I think we need to pick up our faith today so that we can put out the flaming arrows that the devil is shooting at us. And I know you can probably think of it in your life. Instances where you need to activate your faith. You need to pick up the shield today. The next one is salvation is a helmet. Knowing you're saved protects you from the devil's mind games. Anybody ever felt like you were in a mind war? Everybody's like, every day. <laughs> Four times a day. You think you're okay one moment and you've just talked yourself up and you're encouraging yourself in the Lord and about five minutes go by and you're like, oh Lord. And the enemy keeps planting thoughts and thoughts and thoughts and thoughts and it's a mind game. This is why we have to renew our minds with the Word of God. We need to be reminded of who we are in Jesus. Back in Ephesians 4, Lucas spoke on this a couple of weeks ago. Verses 20 through 24 says, But that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about Him and were taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of truth. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul is writing about the end times, and he references this again in 1 Thessalonians 5 8. He says, But since we belong to the day, to that day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. Listen, we need to renew our minds to, to, to be reminded of God's truth. To be reminded of who we are in Christ. To be reminded, hey, I have a hope. And that hope is Jesus. My hope is in salvation. I, I, have, I am guarding, I am protecting my mind from anything that the enemy may try to do. Because I know what God has done for me. And then here's uh, the last one as far as this. It's an offensive weapon. The word of God is a sword. And we have to fight lies with God's truth. Satan is the father of lies. If he's talking, he's lying. Every time. Every single time. In fact, Jesus said when he was uh, reprimanding some Pharisees, <laughs> he said, the devil is a liar. And when he lies, it's consistent with his character. Because he is the father of lies. That's what he does is he lies. So we have to make sure that we are fighting those lies with God's truth. When talking about the importance of the Word of God, one pastor said it this way. He said, the devil is allergic to the Word of God. What did, what did Jesus say to the enemy when he was tempted? It is written. He comes at him again. 
it is written. Comes at him again, it is written. Every single time when Jesus was tempted, he quoted the word. David, David said it this way in Psalm 119.11. He said, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. I think that it's time that we begin to truly treasure and hide God's word in our hearts. Some translations say, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That we, that we know it. That it is inside of it. It is written on our hearts. So that when something comes our way and the enemy throws something our way, we're like, I got a verse for you. That's really what Jesus did. He didn't say it in that way. But the enemy came to him and said, if you are the son of God, Jesus said, you know, I got a verse for you. And he quoted it. Comes at him again. I've got another verse for you. And he quoted it. Comes at him a third time. I've got another verse for you. Listen, you need to have God's word in you. Not just words on a page, but that it's written on your heart. It's written on your heart. Prayer is a weapon for all seasons. It's the last thing after Paul goes through this entire list of all of this armor. He says, and pray in the Spirit on every occasion. Prayer is always a weapon. It is always, always, always a weapon. And I think that it's time that we get to the place to where we can do what Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, where he just says, pray constantly. Pray constantly. There must be something to prayer if we would be encouraged to pray constantly. Pray constantly. Will you stand to your feet? I want to read the last four verses and then we'll wrap it up of Ephesians 6. I'll go ahead and bring the worship team back. Just the final word that Paul gives to this church, and I believe he gives to us, and he says, Tychicus, our dearly loved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. I am sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Most people believe that this is the person that brought this letter to the people that Paul was writing it to. And he says, I'm, I'm sending this guy to you. I'm sending him to you so that he can, he can tell you how we're doing. And he can encourage your heart. So we're talking about Ephesians and reading through Ephesians and how it shows us who we are, what we're meant for, and how to live it out and all of these things. And here's why I believe that God would have us to read the book of Ephesians, why Paul wrote it and he sent this guy with it and he said, hey, deliver this. It's for this right here. To encourage your heart. I'm going to remind you who you are and what I've done for you to encourage your heart. I'm going to remind you the salvation you have in me to encourage your heart. I'm going to remind you that you're not in a physical battle, you're in a spiritual battle to encourage your heart. I'm going to remind you that we that I desire unity to encourage your heart. I'm going to remind you that this is what the marriage relationship looks like when it works well so that I can encourage your heart. How do we live it out? Why do we need to live it out? Paul said, "Hey, this guy's coming to you. He's going he's going to tell you who we are, how we're doing." And he's going to encourage your heart. God wants to encourage your heart. And, and I would encourage you. This week, I know we're ending this series. Read it one more time. 
Read it one more time. And see it through the lens. This is encouraging my heart. This is to encourage my heart. Amen. Lord, we just thank you today for the opportunity to be here. I'll go ahead and bring the prayer team down. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather in this room and worship you, study your word. Lord, I pray that we would not take it lightly. God, I pray that you would do what only you can do when your word goes forth, that you would apply it to our lives, that you would give us wisdom to know what to do that you would give us boldness to step into it, to activate it, to apply the things that we need to apply. Lord, that it wouldn't just be words on a page, it wouldn't be words that, that we just read, but that we would be doers, not just hearers, doers of the word. God, your way is always best. Your way is always best. And Lord, I pray as we sing this song and we end this service, that if there's anybody here today who needs prayer for anything in their life, anything in their life, Lord, that they would step out of their seat and they would come for prayer. In Jesus' name.